Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. I want to say a big thank you to you for coming around for service this evening. God bless you. Uh, I want to say a big welcome. If there's someone that you know needs to be here, please invite them. Let them come around right away uh, so that we can start service. Thank you. All right. I want to say uh, a big uh, thank you. Uh, I know that I've been away for a while and uh, it was a well-needed rest. I want to thank all of you for your support uh, during those times. Thank you. Thank you. I am back and ready and refreshed uh, for the rest of the year. And, you know, just to remind you, this year, God promised us that it will be the year of providence. He promised us it's the year of providence where he's going to provide for us. He's going to meet our needs and he's going to supply all that we need. He's going to protect. He's going to provide. He's going to lead us with precision. All right. That's what I'm all about. Uh, you know, that's what we're all about here at Vivify this year. So um, we're starting a very, very important teaching series this month. Um, it's one that highlights this theme of the year, the providence of God. And it's important that everyone hops onto it or hops in, tunes in, keys into it. Uh, before I go into that, I really hope you've been blessed by last month's teaching. You had a, a couple of some ridiculously amazing uh, teachers here at Vivify who taught you and walked you through those series, through, the, you know, being the fire nation, a, a people that are on fire for the Lord. Uh, and, you know, we talked about firebender, waterbender, earthbender. For some of you, you went to rewatch the Avatar series. And if that's you, that's fine. But you probably missed the point if you did that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's for your growth. It's for your, your to build consistency in devotion. If by any chance you listen to that teaching and it didn't stir something in you, go and rewatch it and rewatch it till the word of God is formed in your heart because you need to be consistent in your devotion and you can be. That's the beautiful thing. You can be consistent in your devotion. Glory to God. All right, because of time, I just want us to quickly go into the word. I hope you're excited for the word. Bring out your writing materials, your pens, your books, your Bibles. Let's get ready to, uh, to share the word together. Praise the name of Jesus. The teaching series for this month is called The Good Shepherd. We're going to examine and explore what it means to have a good shepherd. And, and just in case you don't know, we're talking about God himself. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who cares for his sheep. He's the one who tends to his sheep. And we're going to talk about many things this month, um, dive deeper into what it means, uh, what, what God does for us as a good shepherd and, and what we're to expect but I believe that a very good, strong foundation um, is, is, is in order so that we have the right footwork to build on uh, as we go on into the series. So I just want to give you a bit of history, right? Uh, for those of you who probably know this, you know that Christian history, uh, this is something that has been going on for about 2,000 years plus. Um, from the time Jesus died on the cross and was risen, the church began. What we call the church, not a physical building, but the people called out from darkness by God into marvelous light. That's the church. So the age of the church began. And it got to a point around the 13th century where the, the Roman Catholic, the, the, the Christians in, 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 the, in the country of Italy, in Rome, uh, started to build a community that became so strong that it was even stronger than the political powers in that nation. So the, the literally, think about it. Imagine that Daddy Gio, for example, Adeboye, if he was the head of the church at that time, he was the head of the nation. And not just the Rome or Italy, but the other nations that subscribed to Roman Catholicism. So that's how it was. The Pope ruled nations. It was serious. And another difficulty that he had in those days was that they couldn't, have access to the Bible. They couldn't have access to the Bible. It was only uh, the people who were in um, authority that had access to it. People who were priests, who were clergymen, they had access to the Bible. So as a regular member of a church, 
you had no access to the Bible. You had no access to the scriptures. You know, you, there, was, there was nothing you could say that or do that, uh, that you, you couldn't see. You couldn't understand the scriptures. It's what you are fed that you receive. That's how it was in those days. And so um, it got to a point, I mean, the Roman church started to, the Roman Catholic church started to bring in all these extra biblical ideas, these things that were not founded in the Bible, indulgences, purgatory, uh, sacraments, priestly confessions, things like that. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Indulgences was like if you want to save someone who had, who had died, um, they, they, they said that there was, you can't just go straight into heaven. There was a temporary abode that you're going to stay. It's called purgatory. So anyone who passes and dies, whoever you are, you go to purgatory. But um, if you want to spare anyone from going to purgatory, spending time there, you pay an amount of money. Right? That's what you call indulgences. So this was a way that the church was raking in so much money. Uh, you pay indulgences to let people free from purgatory, they had sacraments, they believed in a concept called transubstantiation. This was about communion, that when you take the bread and the wine, it became the literal body and blood of Jesus. Like, not figuratively, literal. So, a lot of things were coming in, the, the priestly confessions, if you want your sins to be forgiven, you have to go make a confession to a priest. These were things that were prominent, and some people rose up, angry as they should have been, upset by this, you know, uncomfortable with what was going on in the church. This can't be. This is not what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us that it's, it's by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, that we are afforded salvation. People said that to rise up, riot, the likes of John Wesley, John Huss, John Calvin, Martin Luther, not the one that was shot, you know, saving, you know, propagating that black lives do matter, you know, in the, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., they're, they're totally different people. This is a different Martin Luther, right? So um, these are people who fought for this. They're called the Reformers. It was called the Protestant Reformation. And during this time, they, they concluded, they and their followers concluded on what you call the five solas of Scripture, uh, the so, five solas of the Reformation, I beg your pardon. And sola simply means the... It's like soul. When, I, when you say soul, S-O-L-E, that means alone. The singular um, beliefs that must be held to um, as regards the Reformation in Christian faith. So I'm going to just read them to you so that you have an idea. This is the, the, the framework for what we're building in this series. You have grace alone, through faith alone. Uh, and let me just make it broader. You are saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. And so the grace alone is the sola, sola gratia, or gratia, right? You have through faith alone, sola fide, in Christ alone, solus Christus, according to the scriptures alone, sola scriptura, to the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria. Praise the name of Jesus. So, um, I mean, this was coined from, a lot of it was coined from Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8, where it says, for, um, for we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, that not of ourselves, it's a, it's a gift of works, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast, right? So it's partly from there, partly from Acts 4.12, there's, there's salvation in no one else except from Jesus. No, no name under heaven on earth for by which any man is saved, but by Christ. So it's in Christ alone that salvation is afforded. And, you know, so, yeah, this is how this came to be. And the reason why the, the title of the teaching today is Soli Deo Gloria is because it, it's, it sets the right mindset for this kind of teaching when we talk about the goodness of God. If everything has to be to the glory of God, it's something worth examining, it's something worth listening to, it's something worth you know, investigating. Um, and that's what we're going to do. Um, but if you're going to talk about all these solas and you're going to talk about the one that is the most difficult, like this one, you can say, yes, grace alone, that's beautiful, faith alone. I think a lot of these ones are easy to adhere to. But the last one, um, human nature in itself many times doesn't allow us to adhere to it. Um, 
But let's start off this way. I want to start off by showing you how, how, does, how is God's mindset? Is he man-centered or, or is he not, right? And when I look through scriptures, I see that there are two broad ways that God has shown and demonstrated uh, his love to mankind. I, I, I see it in creation and I see it in new creation. So in the creation of the world, you know how it was, in the, you know, God said, let there be light, there was light. He created the vegetation, he created, you know, differentiated the sky from the land. There were fishes in the water, there were birds in the air, there was vegetation, everything. And he did all these things right before he made man from the dust and breathed life into him. And then gave him a helpmeet, you know, who was, who was Eve. You know, brought them together and that became humanity. But before they came on the scene, they had everything that they needed. So in creation, you see the providence of God. You see that food was, was provided for. A garden was, was provided for. Do you understand? In fact, even the angels were created for humans to be, to be helpmates, to be ministers. Uh, the Bible calls them that they're ministering spirits to those who are the heirs of salvation. So everything God did, even in that creation, shows his providence. You see that God was ready to take care of these people. In fact, he was taking care of them before the fall happened. And then the second part where we see God focused on man, just incredibly focused on man, we see that in the new creation. This is where God invested everything that he had and owned in this one plan of salvation. He gave his very life for us, right? If, if you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have received salvation, it's something, it's something to, to, to just sometimes just step back and just roll and, and shout in gratitude. You know, David had to exclaim, like, what is man that you're mindful of him? That in all the things you've seen, it's man. You care about man. In fact, when you read the story of the Jews and the Israelites, you'd realize that, look, if it's by their conduct and their goodness, look, <laughs> they, they, they have every reason to have been destroyed. They have every reason to not even have the attention of God. You had, and there was a time when that was going to happen. They were such a stiff-necked, hard people, you know, hardened people that, you know, it, God had to send prophets every time, had to bring these punishments to them, to, to, to just correct them, to discipline them. They were the most hardened people you could ever meet. But somehow God was still interested in them. Somehow God told a man like Hosea to go after Gomer, who was a prostitute, who had you know, cheated on him, who had gone away, but still told Hosea, no, go back and buy her. Yes, she offended you, just like Israel offended me. Go back again for her. David was like, what is man that you care about? Man is just is but dust. Why do you care about us? Why do you think so much uh, about us? So it, it just seems so much so that God is so man-centered. Everything he did, it just did, he did it for you. He did it for me. And that's very beautiful. But I found that in many circles in the church, there has been an extreme to this. And this is what this teaching is meant to correct. There has been such an extreme in the man-centered doctrines of churches where we say that, you know, God does everything for us. Everything is about me, myself, and I. It's me, me. I'm a God on this earth. I can live however I want. I have the power of God. I have the authority of God. I don't really need his involvement. I can do all things. It's me. It's all about me. And, and this kind of doctrine can lead to a lot of hurt, can lead to a lot of confusion in the church. Praise the name of Jesus. Uh, but I can tell you for free that as much as God is centered on you, he cares about you. You are the, you are, you are the, he, he gives you his attention. You are his focus and his plan. I can also very, very boldly say that God is God-centered. I can tell you for free that God is God-centered. He is self-centered. And I know when you hear something like that, like, how can you tell me God is self-centered? That's, that's a bad quality. 
I think it's only a bad quality because only one person is allowed to have that quality and that attribute, and it's God. He has every right to be centered about him. You know, and I'm going to read some scriptures to you, but I'm just going to read one off the top of my, of my mind, right? I'm going to show you where, uh, you know, you see that what the things that God did, the motivation behind the things that God did, he did not just to, 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 to make you, you know, have all that you want, have all your desires. He, he didn't do it to just make you the God in your own life. He did it for his glory. He did it for his glory. Look at Psalm 23 from verse 3. Very popular scripture. Uh, it's, it's literally the, 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 the key text for this series. Um, so I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, He renews my strength. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, this is where he restored my, my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness, right? So he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. The King James says, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. The NLT explains and says, it's bringing honor to his name. And name is not G-O-D. Name has to do with his reputation, his authority, his power. Praise the name of Jesus. So at the end of the day, even as much as God is renewing your strength, that's great. It's good for you. You are stronger when he renews your strength. You are better when he leads you on paths of righteousness. But why does he do it? Yes, he loves you, but ultimately, he did it for his name's sake, for his reputation. He did it for his glory. Revelation 4.11, this one is super important, and you know it. It's a song. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. So, God, you are worthy to receive glory. You are worthy to receive honor. You are worthy to receive all power. You deserve it. You are worthy of it. For you have created all things. Pay attention here. Listen here. You have created all things. And for your pleasure, they are and were created. Beautiful. Why did God create you? For his pleasure. Why did the manufacturers of Apple create an iPhone? For their pleasure. And for every purpose they want that device to accomplish. And you, the, the iPhone can't say, Apple, why did you make me like this? Why did you make me to, to make phone calls? Why did you make me to not be so compatible with, with Windows, you know? You can't. It's for his pleasure. And he has every right to take pleasure in his creation. Does that make sense? Praise the name of Jesus. To be honest with you, this kind of teaching that, that I'm, 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 I'm sharing today is, is it's quite unpopular in the church. And I don't water down the place of motivational speaking. You know, I saw a very funny meme recently. And I'm like, this is so accurate. There was a fish that was dying outside a bowl of water. And the caption said, now one motivational speaker, tell me, say, I should leave my comfort zone. And the comfort zone was the, was the fish bowl. And the fish was outside dying because that was the comfort zone. It's very hilarious. But as much as motivational speaking has its place. It's good that you, you are productive in what you do in your life. It's good that you, are, you, are, you have goals and you are chasing after them. It's important. But a lot of motivational speaking is about do you believe in yourself, believe in your heart, chase your dreams, you know, follow your heart. That's what they tell you. You, you can't. You shouldn't follow your heart, especially if it's an unregenerate heart. You can't believe in yourself because you're not the object of your faith. You ought not to be the object of your faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's so much teaching in the church about being the best you. You can have all that you want. You can have your best life now. It's all about you. You can be the wealthiest person. You can be the richest person. You can be the most influential person. You can be this and that. And there's so much man-centered, self-centered doctrine in our churches today. But look not in vivify. Here we honor the one to whom all honor is due. Praise the name of Jesus. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the credit. It's God. 
we, we are not in a place to tell God what to do. We're not in a place to tell him, do this and do that. He deserves all the credits. He's God all by himself. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The, the reason why I'm saying this is because many times when you realize that everything you do is to the glory of God, it gives you, it gives you some freedom. Whether it's in your ministry or it's in your marriage or it's in your relationships, it's not always about me. It's not always about what I want. It's the glory of God first, the will of God first, the kingdom of God first. That's what God wants us, the mindset he wants us to have. Praise the name of Jesus. I want to show you something. Look at this scripture. This, this scripture bothers me a lot, and I hope it will bother you when you read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 3. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm sorry that I'm rushing. It's because we're very short on time, but I want you to pay close attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 3. Look at what it says. <laughs> it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ha! Out of expected to see in your business ventures, do it to the glory of God. In your academics, do it to the glory of God. In your finances, you know, handle them to the glory of God. Be a steward of your finances to the glory of God. In your relationships, do it. It, it seems better to see those kinds of things. But look at what he's talking about. He went to the seemingly most mundane things. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. That's incredible. And it's not a suggestion like, ah, bro, if, if you, whenever you can, right? Anytime you have the chance to do it to, to my glory, you, you can do it, right? It wasn't a suggestion. How is it possible to do everything for the glory of God? That's what we're talking about in this teaching. When we realize that, look, at the end of the day, your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. You can't run your life the way you would always want to run your life before. Now that it belongs to God, He alone sets the course for your life. I'm not saying there are no responsibilities on your part, but I'm saying at the end of the day, there is a priority here. It's not just for our own satisfaction or selfish desires or selfish interest. At the end of the day, it's what gives God glory. What gives Him glory? That's when we start to see the bigger picture. Even when it comes to the goodness of God, you get to see the bigger picture of God's goodness when you realize that every act of goodness that God does is for his glory. And even if you're in a difficult situation, a trying time, you need to realize that, see, God, everything, God works things out for his glory, even in your life. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, James chapter 4 verse 3 says something very important. James 4.3 says, you know, that people, whenever they ask, he says this, and even when you ask, you don't get it. When you pray to God for certain things, you don't get it. Why? Because your motives are all wrong. You, all, you want only what will give you pleasure. I believe this is the NLT. James 4.3, it's there in your Bible. Some people haven't seen this before. The reason why some people are not even getting answers to their prayers is because their motives are all wrong. It's not about the glory. Who cares about the glory of God? It, it, it should be about me. What about me? I deserve this. I, 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 ought, I deserve this accolade. I ought to get this. This is supposed to be for me. This is how my life should be. But we ask and we pray for things that are not in line with God's will and ultimately will not give him glory. And so you don't get what you ought to get because the Bible says you you want only what will give you pleasure. Praise the name of Jesus. But let me ask you some questions. As we look at some, some scriptures, I'm going to give you some examples of, of, of where, you know, God was about his glory. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you some questions. And this is about the goodness of God. We're, we're talking about the good shepherd. When you start to explain and expand God's goodness, there's some questions that will come to mind. The question is, 
what what's your yardstick for judging God's goodness? Is God good on some days? Is he good on, on, on some nice days? Maybe he's good on Sundays. He's naughty on Fridays. Is that the idea of God? Do you, do you see a God who has double attributes as regards his goodness? He's good and he's not sometimes. What's your yardstick for judging his goodness? Was God good in, in, in Job's situation? Was God good during the Noah, you know, Noah's flood? Was God good... Um, is he good when people go to hell, right? Is he a good God, really? Is he good when, uh, when he gets credit for the good works he does? These are questions we have to ask. Praise the name of Jesus. Look, I want to say this just firsthand, that when we look at the goodness of God, we have to realize that every good act that God does, at the end of the day, it, it contributes and leads to his glory. It's all to the glory of God. And glory, the word glory means the weight, the weight of the credit, the weight of the substance, you know, that is due him. Glory, glory. Praise the name of Jesus. So I'll give you some examples from scriptures and just follow me uh, through this. It's a lot, but these examples are going to help. What I'm doing with these examples is to let you know that maybe somehow our priorities have been way out of place. And this is one way that the enemy targets us. This is one way that the enemy gets to deceive us. When we, st we stay in a place where we, we expect certain things, and it's good to have petitions. It's good to have desires. And sometimes you go to the Lord, Lord, this is what I want. But sometimes you have prayed about a certain thing. You've waited on the Lord. You know that God is good. God is faithful. He's kind. He will surely do this one. And somehow God disappointed you. And somehow God didn't bring this through. The question is, how are you judging his goodness? What yardstick? Is he not good anymore if you don't get the answer you have prayed for within the time you have specified? Is that when God is, is not good anymore? What, what is your yardstick of judging God? At the end of the day, we have to ask the question, this desire of mine, this prayer of mine, this wish of mine, does it give glory to God? Praise the name of Jesus. So look at this, Isaiah chapter 49. You know, the Bible tells us there that God created us for his glory. Psalm 106, the Bible tells us that God called Israel out of all the nations of the world for his glory. Romans 9 tells us that God raised up Pharaoh to show his power. And in fact, he also defeated Pharaoh you know, to display his power. Ezekiel 20 says that God spared Israel in the wilderness for his glory. Second Samuel 7, God gave the Israelites victory over the Canaanites for his glory. First Samuel chapter 12, the Bible literally said there that God did not cast away his people for his glory. You know, it said lest his name is blasphemed in all the world that he cast away his own people. So, Ezekiel 36 says this, you know, that God restored Israel from exile. You know, when they were exiled to Babylon, he restored them from exile to the glory for the glory of his name. John 7, 18, you know, where Jesus said he sought the glory of the Father. Matthew 5, 16 says this, and, and similar to what 1 Peter 2, 12 says, that, you know, everything we do, the good works we do should give glory to the Father. You know, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify the Father. The same thing, you know, 1 Peter 2.12 tells you to do good works so that God is glorified in his good works. Um, John 12 verse 17 says that Jesus endured suffering, suffering for the glory of God. John 14.13, God provides for his children and he answers prayers so that he may be glorified. This one, I'm going to go back to the scripture by the grace of God. It's such a powerful one that, that in providing for his children, God is glorified. Praise the name of Jesus. This is a good yardstick to, to judge the goodness of God, that everything that brings about his glory, God is about it. He is about it. And it's a very strange place to be. And I'm going to tell you why. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 20. If you can open your Bibles here. I know I read a lot of scriptures, but I hope you noted them down so you can read them uh, when you have the chance. But look at this, Romans 9, verse 20. At the end of the day, you see, you're seeing a God who is focused on his glory, on his glory. And, I mean, do we have a, a place to ask him why? 
Why is everything about you? Why can't it be about more than you and more about us? And, and, and you know, ask questions to God. Romans 9.20 says this. It says, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? This is New Testament stuff, Romans 9. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and make his power and endure with much suffering the vessels of wrath fitted, fitted to destruction, that he may make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy, which he had for, for prepared unto his glory, even us whom he had called, not only of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. Look, he's saying this, and I wish I had more time. This is one of the most controversial verses and, and chapters in, in, when, as regards soteriology. Um, but I can just tell you this for free. Who are you to ask God why he does what he does? Why he's after his glory? Why he's so him-centered? You know, people are, are tempted to call God a narcissist. And maybe that's your term, but it's clear. It's about his glory. He has every right. He has every right to take the credit for the things that he does. But here's the thing. The reason why you can safely beat your chest and know that you're in good hands is because the track record shows us that he is trustworthy. The track record shows us that this is a God as much as he's for his glory. At the same time, he, everything he does for his glory is for our benefits. That's why we can trust him. He is a good God indeed. And he will not give us the things that are harmful to us. You have to remember that God would only give you the things that he knows are good for you. So maybe you've prayed about that thing, you've been waiting upon that thing from the Lord, and you haven't received it. Just remember that God only takes, only gives you good things, and he withholds the things that are not good for you, especially within a time, time frame. Does that make sense to you? You need to remember God is good. Yes, he is for his glory, but he's also for you. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll give you another example. Paul's, uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, in that situation, you would expect, uh, you know, Paul was experiencing turbulence, persecution, tribulation. He was going through a very tough time. You'd expect that God's response is to separate him from that thorn, to take away the thorn, to separate him from the persecution he was experiencing. But what glorified God in that situation was when he responded to Paul. He tells Paul that my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made known and made manifest in your weakness. Praise the name of Jesus. What does that say? And you know, Paul even went further to say, I, therefore I will glory in my sufferings. I glory in my sufferings because then you know, I find Christ's strength in me. Look, at the end of the day, what brought glory to God is not taking away the thorns in his flesh. And God won't do that because there are expectations of us. If any man is going to live righteously and live a godly life, he will suffer persecution, as First Timothy 3 says. Do you understand? And so in this case, I mean, Second Timothy 3, in this case, Paul um, God, God in Paul's life showed, look, what would bring the glory in this situation is that I give you the strength you need to endure in this time. God expressed his goodness to Paul by giving him endurance, giving him strength in that tough time. Praise the name of Jesus. So many of you, you've prayed prayers. You've asked God for certain things. You've like, God, save me from this. Deliver me from this. I, I have overbearing parents. I can't stand them. They're always on my case. I have a stepmother. I have a stepfather who is on my case. I have this teacher, you know, who is just picking on me all the time. I have this boss in the office. Lord, touch their heart. Lord, touch their heart. And in that moment, God's, God's you know, action is not to take you away from that job or take you away from that family. If that was the case, a lot of us would be displaced. <laughs> no home, no house, no shelter. God's response to your prayer sometimes as an act of goodness is to give you the strength to endure that hardship. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Another example is, you know, with the blind man and Jesus. And this man who had been blind from birth, the disciples asked, like, what, what did this man do to deserve this? Was it his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, all this was so that God may be glorified. And of course, when you read the chapter, it wasn't that God was glorified in his blindness. Ah, I want to make you blind. It gives me glory. Be blind. That's not what happened. When you read the story, you see that the, the glory that was received was that he was healed. All right, he was healed. This man lives in a fallen world where there's sickness and there's disabilities. But what brought glory to God was that this man was healed. Praise the name of Jesus. When you look at the story of Joseph and his imprisonment, you know, easily God could have, you know, helped him navigate. You know, imagine Joseph had all his life been praying, Lord, I don't want to fall into trouble. I don't want to enter trouble. No jail, no prison. You know, and, and God just, in all the things, Joseph just stayed at home. Imagine the story of Joseph. How interesting would it be if all Joseph did was stay at home and watch Netflix and tend to the ship? Like, what would have, and just have this coat of many colors and just lounge, you know, you know, and how, how, how would the story of Joseph be? But when you look at it, that he went through all those situations. And I'm, I'm telling you this, God did not put him in those situations. God did not make his brothers evil or make Potiphar's wife do what she did. Men are terrible. But amidst this, God allowed him go through those processes, go through prison, so that at the right time, when the, when the, when the famine would come, would be the time where he would be remembered from prison in Egypt, where he could control the resources of that env environment, you understand, of that nation. So at the end of the day, some things might be on, on very difficult for us to understand. How, how is God good in this situation? How can God allow Joseph to spend that many years in prison, to almost be killed by his brothers, sold into slavery, and Joseph realizing that, look, God is the grand architect and he is good in all his ways, says, what you guys meant for evil, God meant it for good. This brought him glory. That at the end of the day, his goodness, his, his goodness is, is now revealed. You can see that God was not, not even good to me per se. or he, he was good to me bringing me out of prison, but not even just for me. For your benefit, to save Israel, to preserve Israel in, the, in a time of famine. Praise the name of Jesus. See, at the end of the day, God, God is all about his glory. And that's fine. It's, it's a good thing that he's about his glory. Because at the end of the day, the things that give him glory, I'm going to talk about them. There are certain things that give him glory. And that's why you can trust him. If God is all about his glory, I'm telling you it's for your good. It's for your benefit. One example I want to talk about is, is an unpopular uh, thing to talk about. But when you talk about the, the death of Peter, God was talking to Peter in John chapter 21. Uh, Jesus, I beg your pardon, who is God, but specifically Jesus was speaking to Peter. In John 21, 18 to 19, he says this. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Now, that's a strange statement to say. But then this is explained. John, the writer, explains and says, This he spoke, signifying by what death that Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Interesting, right? So he was talking to Peter literally. And when you read history, you see that Peter was killed in that way. He was crucified. His hands were stretched out. And of course, he asked because of the honor that he has for the Lord, he asked to be crucified upside down, uh, which is much more dangerous if you understand physics. Uh, but how, when you read the scripture, you ask like, wait, wait, wait. How can you say that Peter's death was going to glorify God? And on the surface, it might look like it, but when you look at it, you realize that, look, God actually gets glory when we sacrifice for him. 
He gets glory when we choose to lose our lives in him, that we may find it in him. Jesus said, the one who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life finds it in Christ. For, for, for the Lord's sake, finds it in him. Blessed are those who suffer persecution. For, you know, that, that's what he says. So at the end of the day, God got glory, not from his death or his sufferings, but in the fact that he was willing to lose all. That it gets to a, you get to a point where Peter was willing to lose all, sacrifice all, for the sake of the Lord, for righteousness' sake, and that gives glory to God. Do you understand? Every sacrifice you make for the Lord, whether it's a financial sacrifice, whether it's a physical or mortal sacrifice, at the end of the day, remember that, see, God is glorified in those things. Praise the name of Jesus. When you stand for the truth in the face of persecution, God is glorified. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, so let me just say this now. Uh, I want to talk about how God gets the glory. I want to talk about how God gets the glory. We've realized that, look, even as he is the good shepherd, he's all about his glory. But how does he get his glory? If the scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, has instructed us that in everything we do, we do it to the glory of the Lord. You know, and even Colossians says something very important, and I'm going to talk about it very soon. But number one, I would say this, how God gets the glory. Number one, God is glorified when righteousness and justice are upheld. God is glorified when righteousness and justice are upheld. Praise the name of Jesus. So this is what I mean. We ask questions. Is God good? Um, Was he good in the time of Noah's flood? Was he good? You know, in that time, when, when, when Sodom and Gomorrah perished, was he good? And, and you need to realize that God gets the glory in those things. He gets the glory in those things because, let me give you an example. If you have this situation where your mother was unfairly treated, right? If your mother, who maybe she works in the market, and some, some boys carried all her goods, she was selling things in the market, and boys just beat her up, packed all the things that she sells, packed everything, and they took it away. She was left with nothing. She was left with bruises. And somehow they caught those boys, those, those rascals, and then you took the case to court. You know, you pressed charges. You took the case to court. And you have, you know, you're going to appear in two courts, you know. You go to the first court, and the judge is there and says, hmm, what happened to your mother? Please bring her forward. Ah, eh, yeah, mama, bele, eh? Bele, sit down. Let her sit down. Let her sit down. What happened? Ha, George, some boys beat my mommy. They beat her. They took everything that she's selling. I, I don't even know what to do. I don't, you need to put these people behind bars. You need to lock them up. They deserve, they deserve to die. In, in fact, uh, uh, relax, relax, relax. Judge now says, huh, let me see the boys. And the boys are coming. They look so innocent, like, ha, ah, George, look, it, something is the devil's handiwork. Something came over us. We were, we're not thinking straight. We're just, you know, and, and this guy is now saying, you know, we had to fend for our own family. They had to sell those goods to, to take care of their mother, you know, because their own mother was about to die. They had to sell those items for her medical bill. And the judge now says, ha, ah, hmm. This is a difficult situation. Court, uh, you know, jury, what do you think? I mean, these guys have a valid point now. Their own mother was going to die. At least this woman, she was beaten, but she's still okay. She's not, she's not so bad, you know. But their mother was going to die. And they went to sell these things to, ah. You hear that, you're like, what kind of judge are you? Are you even supposed to be sitting there? What do you mean that, that they should go scot-free? What do you think that, so my mother is not important, you know? And you go to court B, this guy is not serious. And you take it to the court and you tell this judge, judge, look at what this person, these people have done to my mom. They beat her, stole all her goods. And look at them, they're, 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 they're not even repentant. And the judge, you know, does his investigations, but he's upset. You mean you beat this woman who is trying to fend for her own family? You beat her and not only that, you stole her goods. Ah, I will lock you people up. And he does. And the judge goes further to lock them up, gives them their sentence, and they get the penalty they're supposed to get. Who in that situation was good? 
Was he the one who was willing to let these offenders go free? Or the one who wanted them to get justice? At the end of the day, all of us in this world, we have a sense of justice. We have a sense of right and wrong. We want the people who do terrible things, they, they are caught. We want them to be punished. Do you understand? And maybe some people pretend to be indifferent. It's when it happens to them. You know, sometimes when you know, it happens to other people, eh, whatever happens, happens. But when it happens to them or someone in their family, then it gets serious. But at the end of the day, we have an idea of justice. And it's good that we do because God also is just. And that's where we get our sense of justice from. When God punishes people for the wrong that they do, he's good. He's good. And the good, in fact, his goodness is so rich that before he even meets out the punishment, he, he, he ten, tempers his justice with mercy. He gives them a time to repent. Repent, and you won't get this punishment. He's, he's just that good. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in cases where you've seen him display wrath, righteous wrath, it, it's because he's, he's good. He's good in doing that, and, and that gives him glory. Praise the name of Jesus. And even where we, you know, strive for justice too, it gives him glory. Number two, God is glorified when we give him gratitude with our lips and our lives. Naturally, God is, is glorified literally when we, we worship him with our lips, with our songs, with prayer, with thanksgiving. He's glorified that way. It's, it gives him credit. That's what glory means. You're giving him credit. God, you saved me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. You've acknowledged you have the spiritual blessings and you are thanking God for it. You are blessing the one who blessed you first. That's what pleases God. That's what gives him glory. But I said with our lips and with our lives because God is also glorified when we live in a manner that reflects appreciation for all that he has given us. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you don't act in line with what God has given you in salvation, if God has given you a new spirit, he has given you love, peace, joy, and you act in an unloving manner, you are not giving him glory. You are not, you are not acting in a way that shows your appreciation for the, 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 the spiritual blessings he has given you. You know, we read 1 Corinthians 13.10, but I want to show you something in Colossians chapter 3. This is what it says. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, this is very similar. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you see that? Your life, what you do in word and deed, can give God glory. It can be to his name. And that's what God expects. He wants you to live in a manner that pleases him. He wants you to live in a manner that shows your appreciation for all that he has done. How can you tell me you've been blood washed and saved and you're living like you're still in your old life? That doesn't bring glory to God. That blasphemes his name. Praise the name of Jesus. Everything you do either gives him glory or blasphemes his name, drags his name in the mud. No middle ground. Number three, God is glorified in the salvation of mankind. And this is something that you already know. Because salvation comes when we put our trust in his works, in his finished works. You know, John 3, 16 tells us, Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. And that's true. And God takes glory when we, when we, when, when we you know, receive salvation, when we trust in him, put faith in him. You know, Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's absolutely impossible. But when you, when you put your faith in God and trust him, guess what? He is pleased and he gets glory. So he's glorified when we are saying, and that's good. This is what I'm talking about. God gets the glory in salvation. He gets the glory and it's good because that's where he was centered on you. He was focused on you. He, he did all he did. He sacrificed everything for you, for your salvation. And that brought him glory. Praise the name of Jesus. Number four, and I said I was going to go back to the scripture, and that's why I want to separate it. God is glorified when his people are provided for. John 14, 13. When he provides for his children, he's glorified. John 14, verse 13. This is what it says. Glory to God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Are you there? Are you there, church? Glory to God. This is what he says. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Jesus is telling his disciples just before you know, he ascends. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Look, he's saying, look, I'm going to open up a way. This is just as about, he was about to die, be raised, and, you know, ascend into heaven. He's saying, see, I'm going to do something. You know, he started the chapter by saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you through my death. But now he's telling them that, look, the access I will give you in my name, you've tasted of it already on the earth. It was a time I allowed you guys to, to preach the gospel with signs. You used my name. But see, there's a time where whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That blows my mind. It tells you that anything you will ask in his name that is in, according, in accordance to his will, he will do it because it brings glory to the Father. The Father is glorified when he meets your needs. So that's a good thing. He is glorified when he meets your needs, when he provides for you. He gets glory from it. So you can always bank and always beat your chest knowing, ah, if it is good, God will do it for me. Because he gets the glory out of it. When he provides for, him, for me, he's pleased. Have you seen people, maybe you've experienced this yourself, that there was someone you wanted to, you know, you desired so much to help, and you were able to help that person or those people. And it brought you so much joy. You were like, wow. Like when you, when you did it and you saw the smile on their face, the happiness, it did something to you. It was a kind of satisfaction that money cannot even buy. God is pleased when he meets your needs. Shout aloud hallelujah if you believe it. Glory to God. That's a scripture to never forget. And number five, God is glorified when we are satisfied in him. God is glorified when we are satisfied with him. Satisfied in him. I beg your pardon. Psalm 37 verse 4. This is a scripture that I mean in many, many cases I've seen people misinterpret it. But I want to, I want to dissect it a little bit for us. Psalm 37 from verse 4. I hope you're learning something this evening. This is the framework, soli deo gloria, all to the glory of God, a, a life that is sold out for the glory of God. We're not paper chasers, but God's chasers. We're, we're, we're God's glory chasers. Everything must go back to him in honor, in glory. Every success, every achievement, every venture we do must go back in, in glorifying his name. Praise the name of Jesus. Psalm 37 from verse 4. This is what it says. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This is what a lot of motivational teaching, you know, you uses. He uses scripture. God will give you the desires of your heart. Tell him whatever you want. Anything. Mention it. Is there anything too big for God to do? You talk about it. If it's in your heart, then say it. He will give you the desires of your heart. It's a blank check, an open check. That's what it sounds like. But at the end of the day, look at the first part. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. The truth about the scripture is that it is, it is reversal. When you truly delight yourself in the Lord, when all that you think about, all that you wake up to, all that your preoccupation is about is the Lord, His name, His glory. When you delight in Him, when you focus in Him, when you, are, you, are, you, 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 you invest yourself in Him, he, guess what? He becomes your desires. The things He desires become your desires because you've chosen to delight yourself in Him. So when you delight in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. Guess what? He gives you him. He gives you his desires. Do you understand? So when you are truly satisfied in him and you truly delight in him, he gets the glory for it because your desires are now desires that are in tandem with his. Praise the name of Jesus. It's not desires of, I want a car. 
You know, so God grants me the desires of my heart. I want a car. Give me a car, Lord. Boom. That's not how it's going to happen. Lord, I want a house. This is my heart's desire. I receive it now. Boom. No. When you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires change. It's, it's a miracle of change desires, what God does in you. And so when you truly desire the Lord, at the end of the day, and when you delight in Him, your desires become His. Do you understand? Your desire is for Him, for His glory, for His kingdom, for His goodness. That's it. Praise the name of Jesus. So the things, the, the desires that God grants to those who delight in Him are the things of God. That's what it is. And God is glorified in it. But here's the thing. Here's the catch. And this is the reason why I said you can trust him. James chapter 1 verse 14. Uh, I beg your pardon. James chapter 1 from verse 17. This is what it says. That every good and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It tells us that, look, if God has been consistently good, and every gift he has given has been good, you can beat your chest knowing that there is no shadow of turning with him. He's not going to change. He's not going to be variable the next day or the day after that. He doesn't have mood swings. He doesn't have a bad day or a good day, an off day, and on day. He's consistent immutable unchangeable and we have seen the track record of his goodness if you look only in the lives of the israelites you can see his handiwork in their lives his goodness in your own life if you look internally and many of us have you know a problem of diminishing the goodness of god in our lives you've experienced his goodness you know it you've seen it you've tasted it if you are saved, that alone is the biggest expression of goodness that you can see, you can experience here on earth. You've received and tasted of his goodness. The Bible is telling you he's not going to change. If he was good, he's going to be good continuously. And the way we judge his goodness are the things that give him glory. Praise the name of Jesus. The things that give him glory. What gives God glory is that the sinner repents. What gives God, God glory is that the, the wicked are, are given their due punishment. What gives God glory is that his children are provided for. What gives God glory is that they receive salvation. Everyone who believes, he gets the glory for it. Praise the name of Jesus. So this is something I'm saying this. I'm saying this to lay the foundation so that your expectations of God's goodness are guided. You're not saying that God is not good when you didn't get that visa. Or God is not good when you didn't get that admission. Or when you didn't get that job interview, God was not good to you. Remember that anything that gives God glory is what he will chase after. And the good thing is that if you are in the will of God, if you are at the center of the will of God, you need to realize that, look, the will of God, when it's fulfilled, always brings glory to God. God's will was that all men repent, and he provided that through salvation. When the, 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 the provision of salvation was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross, he got glory from it. Jesus said that in John 12 that his sufferings you know, are to the glory of God because that's where salvation comes from. So at the end of the day, you can beat your chest knowing that God is for you. He is good to you, and, and he's not going to change. Praise the name of Jesus. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd, but everything is to his glory, is to his glory. If you are the center of his will, you are safe because he will sponsor his will. God will provide for things that are in line with his will. He will be, God sponsors his will. Praise the name of Jesus. So I want you to see God's goodness in this light. He is the good shepherd. But at the end of the day, everything that we receive from him and everything that we do in response must give him glory. We are not to live a, a self-centered life. We're not to think about just us and what we experience in time and our pleasure and our desires. Our lives belong to this one who has bought us with a price. He purchased us. And now we get to live for his glory. We get to say words for his glory. We get to do deeds for his glory. Everything at the end of the day is for his glory. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness 
of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.